This is the motherfucking Blood Doctor Show on a Friday. And it's a Friday afternoon, atypical time for us here at the Blood Doctor Show, but that is because we have an emergency, or at least what necessitates a podcast emergency in any case, as the Suns have chosen to hire former Pacers, Magic, and ugh, Lakers coach Frank Vogel as their next head coach, which is shocking to me. Frank Vogel's name had definitely been mentioned um, as one of the you know finalists or candidates that was out there, but it didn't seem to have a lot of traction. It didn't seem to have... It just didn't seem to be the thing that was going to happen to me. Everything I had read suggested otherwise, and I was wrong. And the Suns have a new coach, and we're going to talk about that. We will dive in. But first and foremost, as we do here, we got to talk about a real issue first real quick before we talk about a basketball issue, because that's what I do. And something interesting I noticed. Last time out, I talked about night is darkest before the dawn and all that stuff. But I was really thinking about, just sitting there thinking about what Donald Trump has done to the GOP in just seven years. Seven years ago, like... You know, I mean, there was still racism and fear-mongering and homophobia and transphobia and all that stuff within the Republican Party, but they weren't overt about it. You know, the Republicans still believed in decorum and, you know, they had all these horrible internal beliefs, but they still tried to sort of show respect to people. Like, they'd be like, I don't believe in gay marriage, but you do whatever you want in your home, blah, blah, blah. And there wasn't all this, like, oh, every you know gay person's a groomer, blah, 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 that kind of shit. And in seven years, eight, if you want to include like the, you know, the campaign 2015 year, whatever, he has turned the Republican Party into just the bottom third racists, you know, the KKK transphobes, and that's that's all of them now. They're all, you know, the it's like 35% of the country is just like outwardly like we're racist, we're homophobic, we hate everyone, that's who we are. And it doesn't work in national elections, as we have seen. And it's really starting to turn the places that they need against them. I was looking at 2024, like, with a critical eye. Because, you know, some people are afraid of Ron DeSantis, which is hilarious. Like, the idea that, you know, like, this guy, there's no chance. Like, I I know that many people, like, in the media try to, they're like, oh, you need to watch out for Ron DeSantis. No, we don't. He's not even going to win his party's nomination. So he's not going to win. But you look at, you know, the 2024 map itself. And it actually boils down to four places. And that is Arizona, Georgia, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. That's really it. Because everything else is pretty much how it's going to go. Normally, Democrats would be like, well, we've got to try to win Ohio. We've got to try to win Florida. We've got to try to win North Carolina. And, you know, these things are ambitious goals. But really, truthfully, it's Arizona, it's Georgia, it's Wisconsin, and it's Pennsylvania. It's those four states. And you can, you know, kind of create different, you know, versions of the map. But really what it boils down to is that those four places are all moving blue. And the Republicans need them all to go their way. And they can't have anything else go wrong. Okay, you can't slip and lose Ohio, which is always a possibility. 
very unlikely that they would lose Florida given the way that it's been gerrymandered and just how much the state loves Ron DeSantis. So that's fine. But if any mistakes happen for them anywhere else, they're done. They're just done. And you might say to me, well, you know, these places were very close. They've been very close in the most recent election. So it's, you know, possibility, elasticity, voter elasticity, blah, blah, blah. You got to look at this from the right perspective. Arizona currently has two Democrat senators. Well, okay. We have one Democrat and one independent who won as a Democrat who was never actually a Democrat. But voters in the state of Arizona voted to put two Democratic senators in office. They also voted to put a Democratic governor in office. These are things that just don't happen here. The state is changing. Georgia, despite its continued election of Republican governors, has now multiple times in a row chosen two Democratic senators. They've continued to make this choice. They did it in the first elections. They did it in runoffs. And then Warnock had to defend his seat again against Herschel Walker. He won that again. These states' demographics are changing towards the blue. They are trending blue. Pennsylvania is a famously conservative place. And even though it has always been sort of back and forth between, you know, Republican and, and Democrat in national elections, it is still a place that has always been very, you know, conservative minded. And again, two Democratic senators, Democrat governor, things are changing, truly, truly changing in this country because, I mean, in a lot of cases, Republicans want to live only around other Republicans. And they, a lot of them have, you know, left and they are, we're leaving California. We're going to the South. We want to be around people like us. Great. Fantastic. Please do that. Not that there aren't millions and millions of asshole conservatives in California, but the point is as racist white people seek to only be around other racist white people, they actually just continue to put all their voting power into these small areas. Now, those states have become horrible. We've seen that you, you know, democratically elected lawmakers just get thrown out of office now. Those places are horrible. And I wish that we could do things to fix them. But my point is that if you look at the actual greater trend of what's happening here, Republican power has been reduced to we're racist and homophobes. That's what it is. For a long time, it was all about abortion and pro-life and Christianity and blah, blah, blah. Now it's been reduced to we are racists, we are homophobes, we are transphobes. That's what the GOP is. And they are consolidating their power in their places. You know, Again, Florida, Tennessee, Arkansas. These places are redder than they've ever been. And that's fine. It's not what anyone would want, but that's what it is. And it will continue to degrade their ability to win. And that is what we want. All of these things that are happening that are supposedly, mar oh, but no one's buying Bud Light anymore. We're seeing a new show of conservative buying power. Or people on the other side who also drink tons of beer saw Bud Light cave to terrorists and are no longer interested in purchasing that product. This, this whole idea that, well, conservatives have all of the buying power in this country. You just, you really think no one on the left drinks beer? None of us have ever had Bud Light before. And we didn't just watch you cave to these people. Bud Light was previously known as one of the most supportive out beer companies. And this whole event has completely undone that. And the lesson that they're learning is that they need to go to the right. And they've been doing that, by the way. And their sales, sales are still tanking.
<laughs> just because people are the loudest does not mean that they represent the majority of the population. And what we've learned with Elon Musk is that Twitter, is it an echo chamber? Absolutely. But it's an echo chamber pointed at exactly whoever the owners wanted to be pointed at. And right now, that is all right-wing, crazy, conservative, conspiracy nuts. And that amplifies their believed reach. And people see these things and say, oh, this is what people think. This is not what people think. This is not how people behave. This is how racists behave. This is how homophobes and transphobes behave. And sure, you'll see people, oh, I'm proud to be a homophobe. But okay, that's great. If you want to proudly align yourself with Nazis, then you are free to do that. The country is moving forward without you. The world is moving forward without you. Again, the reason that progressive thought is called that is because it is about progress moving forward. The world will never move backward. No matter what these people want, the world will never go backward. They might be able to pass laws that make things difficult in states for a while, blah, 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 but the world doesn't move backwards, okay? The world does not move backwards. It is just what it is. And it doesn't matter what anyone who quote unquote calls himself conservative today, they're not even conservative, they're just crazy. It doesn't matter what anyone who would align themselves with the GOP thinks. It doesn't matter what they think about, oh, God and his, uh, the, the groomers. None of these things matter. It's obnoxious. It's horrible. It's annoying as fuck. I'm tired of hearing it, but it doesn't actually matter. All of the bloviation means nothing. What matters is local issues. Are people near you being treated poorly for who they are? Then you need to step in and help them. Is, are, is there a business that is, you know, being discriminatory? Let's step in and help them, you know, help the people who are being discriminated by that business. But my point is, no one needs to sit there and care about what dumbasses say on a website that is, you know, just being promoted. And I understand that, it encourages other people to hate. I get that. But that's also sort of the point is that these people have their hatreds already. And other people are telling them it's okay to feel that way. This is not as if, it's not as if Donald Trump said to these people, I want you to grow hateful. And they were like, okay, I'll be hateful now. No, no, no. These people already were hateful. What has happened is that they have been radicalized. And that is very different from, oh, these people have been turned into something else. No, they've been radicalized and have decided to use their hate against their fellow citizens. I'm not saying that this is more okay. I'm saying that it's a different problem than people seem to think. What Donald Trump has revealed is that America is a hateful place. He did not turn this country into a hateful place. He revealed the hate that was already bubbling underneath. And this is what I'm saying is that you don't have to give a shit about people talking. You have to give a shit about what's going on in your community. You have to give a shit about grassroots local efforts because the more bullshit they spew, the more angry they make each other, but it doesn't make them their numbers grow. It doesn't make more people believe them. It doesn't change the way that other people view the world. It just makes them talk louder. Yes, there are acts of violence that have come from this, but open carry states 
have had acts of violence problems before any of this. We've had shootings for years. This is just the newest reason for it. We have a problem within this country of hate. And whether it is directed at, you know, the the Japanese during World War II because we believe that, you know, they were going to attack us or whether it was, you know, aimed at, at black people during the civil rights movement because they're trying to take, they're trying to, you know, change our white culture or, you know, whether now it's, you know, transgender people and gay people. We have a problem of hatred and it has always been there and it has always been exercised. And Donald Trump has allowed people to just spew it openly. But the thing is, that shit burns out. And you have to just ignore it. And the reason I say this, the reason I say all of this is because I see people say, you know, they read these things online and they're just exasperated and they just, they want to give up. They want to quit. But you can't quit because the reason they're so loud, the reason they're screaming so much, the reason they're so angry is because everything they believe is dying. These are the death throes of a cult. That is truly what we're seeing. And it's horrible the way it plays out. But this kind of thought process will die. The world moves forward. And I'm not saying any of it is okay. I'm not saying any of it is acceptable. I'm saying people focus so much on, well, this random commentator is screaming things on Fox News. Who fucking cares? That's not the issue. The issue is that if you organize locally and you make sure that you have your candidates for local office set up properly, it won't matter what the idiot screams on Fox News. People are focused on, well, this person is so grandiose and says all these things. Okay, but we actually have solutions to these problems. And I'm not saying that winning grassroots elections will make Republicans less hateful. But what I'm saying is the more of these people that you just take away by organizing, by being focused on what actually matters, by not listening to hateful people and not amplifying them, when you talk about what they say, you amplify what they say. The more you just put them away and the more you go to work on your local community, these problems will go away. Because the reason there is so much hatred and so much anger in this country is because Everyone on the bottom end has been screwed by rich people. Income inequality causes basically every single problem that we have. Income inequality and white supremacy go hand in hand. And they are the two things that lock. They are in lockstep and they lock every single thing down in this country. And people believe that every single minority group, white people believe that every single minority group, you know, every group that's not them since the beginning of time in America has been the one that's taking everything away from them, right? Change the perspective. Change the way you act locally. And I'm sure I'm covering like 80 topics right now, but, but the country is simply moving the right way. There are four battleground states that can just have us continue on the right path. And all we need to do is help to organize those states and we can start to change the future. You can literally destroy their ability to win elections with 
Just better local organization, better grassroots organization. They have succeeded for so long. Anytime you go look at ballots, you will see multiple things where it's like judges and only one person is running and it's a Republican. Or, you know, a sheriff and only one person is running and it's a Republican. And that happens all the time because Democrats don't even run for these small local offices. I have said it before. It is the truth. It is not about the bullshit that they're spewing on television. It is about the local grassroots things that we need to do to just take away their power. The more of these people are no longer in office, the fewer of them give airtime to Fox News, the fewer conspiracy theories are being pushed, it delegitimizes all of it, and it forces Republicans to go back to live in the real fucking world. I'm talking to myself as much as I'm talking to anyone else because I'm arguing on Twitter trying to lecture people. It's stupid. All of this stuff, all this talking, they're assholes. They're horrible people. But the world is trending the right way. And we can speed it along if we focus on the right things and stop. We, I, I know they're horrible. I know what they're going to say is horrible. And I personally need to stop obsessing over it. That's just like a me thing. And... The more effort that we put into, again, just everything local, we can make it toxic to even be one of these politicians that would go on Fox News or One American News and say these things. And that delegitimizes all of it. They legitimize these conspiracy theories by being in office and saying them. And if we just take that away from these people... Progress. We'll all be progress. Let's talk about Frank Vogel. So as I said before, I knew, I think all of us knew that Vogel was a possibility. His name was mentioned. Um, you know, people had discussed, you know, the, the finalist for the son's job. And there were some conflicting reports about who was and who was not a finalist. But, you know, I, Frank Vogel was not at the top of any of those lists, and I don't think that he was necessarily at the top of any Suns fans' wish list. There are a few people on Twitter today taking some victory laps, saying you know that they were all about this the whole time, and that's fine. Um, a couple of them have some tweets from the past. That's fine. Good for you. But it's definitely not... This is not something that the Suns community was, like, clamoring for, obviously. And it's interesting because... Last time, I think we all really wanted Monty Williams. You know, when Monty was available, it was kind of clear that, you know, it had come down to the Suns or the Lakers for him, and it was his choice, and he chose the Suns. And so that was a big deal for us, you know, kind of getting that win over the Lakers or whatever. But just also, you know, regardless of, you know, any kind of, oh, we chose, we got the coach, he chose us, you know, blah, blah, whatever. But truthfully, it just went to show how differently the organization had been viewed because, you know, there was never a chance that we would have gotten a coach over the Lakers for most of our history. And the fact that, you know, he wanted to coach Devin Booker, you know, that was a, a big deal. So um, it's interesting to go from that scenario where, you know, the Suns, you know, really wanted Monty and went out of their way to get him and did everything they could and landed him, got him. He got him to a finals, got an extension, all kinds of good stuff. And then, as it always happens, the coach of the year gets fired. It, it happens every single time. Like, it's without fucking fail. You win the coach of the year, you're going to be fired the next season. It's just the most absurd thing. And 
you know, the money thing, I've said it a couple of times. Um, I don't, I don't, I really haven't addressed it much on this podcast, I guess, cause I really didn't record much after it happened. But you know, the thing about the Monty situation is before we get to the Vogel situation, a lot of people lose in the playoffs and a lot of people lose in the playoffs in tough situations and you get blown out and these things happen. But Monty Williams had a 64 win team and home court advantage and blew a series against a team with one star player who everyone knew was taking the final shot and not only blew it, but blew it so horribly that we were down by like 80 points in game seven at home. And I mean, the team was a laughing stock, was a joke. And you can't fire him after that one year after the finals. It was horrible, but it was certainly a gut punch. And it made us all look bad. It made everyone look bad. And it just made you, you know, readjust your ex- expectations for the team. So then, you know, the Cole initial Kevin Durant trade speculation occurs. The trade doesn't happen. Then it happens late in the year. Monty's got to figure things out. Kevin gets hurt, only gets a few games of regular season basketball. And so it's hard necessarily to say that Monty deserved this when, you know, this season was so, there's so much turmoil. But then you get blown out in game six again. Like, really badly. Like, to the point that I was, like, turning it off in the second quarter. Yet again. Like, these games were not bad. They were gigantic fucking disasters. And whether or not the Suns team had flu last year and whether or not, um, you know, Chris Paul being hurt this year mattered, whether or not any of those things occurred, Monty Williams got blown out on the biggest stages. And... Showed no ability to adapt to the situation. You know, for all the stuff about injuries and this, that, and the other, the Clippers gave us hell in the first round with a bunch of dudes, just a bunch of guys. Because Ty Lu had them playing at a certain level in a certain way. And Monty never seemed to have guys playing at that level after you know, that, that Maverick series. I mean, I know that this season was riddled with injuries, but it just never, the urgency seemed off. The chemistry seemed off and it just, you know, there were no Booker Durant pick and rolls in the, in the Nuggets series, like at all, like none, like Kevin Durant stood around. And again, I know that they didn't have time to, you know, run a training camp and get to know each other and everything. But like, you know, the pick and roll is basically the number one play in basketball. And I think that Devin Booker and Kevin Durant are both smart enough to run it without like having done training camp together. And, you know, the Suns just don't shoot enough threes. And there are just all these things that are sort of obvious that Monty just kind of ignores. And that's all well and good until you get blown out by 40 in crucial games you know, twice in a row, on your home court, in front of your own fans. You just can't do that. It's just not going to be a thing. And I don't love how it looks to fire a black coach with a short lease and replace them with a white coach. I never liked that. But, you know, and the NBA coaches are hired to be fired, and this is how it goes sometimes. And Monty, for the record, just got the largest payday in history to coach the Pistons, so he's going to be fine. So Monty's going to be just fine. And he'll get his chances again to do whatever. But there was just no possibility that you could realistically lose 
two closeout games by 40 and then go into the next season, a third season, and be like, well, we'll figure it out this time. It was too late. And again, to transition from that, who was the coach that we all wanted, I really feel, many of us wanted, now to a person who, I'm not saying, like, I personally can't even kind of wrap my head around what I feel about Frank Vogel. Like, number one, how I feel about him is I hate him because he won a championship for the Lakers. Like, just personally, (laughs) I have hated Frank Vogel since the Lakers hired him. I hated him when they won the title. And I thought it was funny when they scapegoated him and fired him because when you're associated with the Lakers, I don't like you. And that's just like what that is. And now he comes here and you just have to sort of ignore that, I guess. And you say, okay, well, I liked Frank Vogel before that. I really liked what he did with the Pacers back in the day. You know, he was the coach of those Pacers teams that took LeBron toe-to-toe in the Eastern Conference Finals when LeBron was in Miami. Vogel's a good coach. Then he was awful in Orlando. And then, again, he won a championship with the Lakers. So it's, like, hard to figure out. He's been good. But sometimes I wonder if this league has passed him by a little bit. Like, you look at Vogel, and you look at the teams that have been really good for him. A lot of those teams have been two big teams, okay? Like, you take a look at those Pacers teams— now, he got the most out of Roy Hibbert that anyone ever could have gotten out of him. He also played David West, who was not a stretch for. I mean, he could do he was a pick and pop for, but David West really was a pretty traditional power forward. Now, maybe again, he did a, a little more little, you know, 20-footers, 17-footers, 18-footers, so it wasn't all like at the rim kind of stuff, but still a much more traditional power forward than we see in in today's game. With the Lakers, you know, he had Anthony Davis and he was still constantly playing a big next to him. Now, some of that may have been Anthony Davis's preference to play next to a center, which he has had at times throughout his career because he doesn't necessarily always want to have to take the beating in the post. You know, fine. But it doesn't change the fact that, you know, Vogel has been most successful when he had two bigs. Interestingly enough, when he was in Orlando, he had like eight bigs because their entire roster is, you know, dudes who are 6'10", and then nobody could figure that shit out. They couldn't win anything. I also do think he completely miscast Aaron Gordon. He said at one point that he wanted Aaron Gordon to be the Magic's version of Paul George, which uh, Aaron Gordon is not in any way, shape, or form. So, you know, maybe that was just a, a bad pairing, and, you know, Aaron Gordon was overrated for that situation. He's perfectly fit for the situation he's in now in Denver, but the biggest thing for me is that this is just not necessarily a roster that Frank Vogel likes. However, I do definitely think this means that the Suns are keeping DeAndre Aiden. I don't think that there's any way that Frank Vogel, who loves big men, who builds his defense around big men, again, who had, you know, Roy Hibbert, um, you know, playing at defensive player of the year level and did all these other things. Um, you know, he had, again, he had really good defenses with the Lakers as well. Um, you know, defense was really not their problem. It was offense, truthfully. Um, but I think he looks at DeAndre Ayton and says, I can turn that dude into an elite defender. You know, and I think that DeAndre Ayton is underrated as a defender, but I think that Frank Vogel sees someone that he can get more out of. So that's good. Um, and so I just wonder, does he look at that and say, okay, I'm going to play KD at, you know, power forward and we're going to play more of a four out and I'm going to kind of change and update my style? Or is he looking at the Suns like, you know, get me another big dude and, you know, we'll put him next to DeAndre and we'll funnel stuff and we'll figure it out. And again, I don't know that that works super well in the current NBA. But it's just going to depend on 
the roster construction of this free agency period is going to show us a lot. Now, the thing is, the Suns obviously don't really have a lot of moves that can be made, especially if you're keeping DeAndre Ayton and keeping Chris Paul. Basically, all you're doing is looking at ring-chasing veterans who are willing to take less money for you know a shot on this team, and there are plenty of minutes to be earned in this rotation. Um, the Suns may have like a mid-level exception available as well, depending on how things shake out, but um, because it also depends on you know picking up Chris Paul's options and all these things. But um, they're not going to have a lot of moves to make. And so, I mean, the core, it's the Paul, Booker, you know, Durant, Aiton, that's the core four. Obviously, we know that. I, th- I don't think there's any question about that at this point. But what are the rest of the, do- who's going to be the fifth starter? What are the rest of the guys even going to look like? Who, you know, what are, what other moves are going to be made around the fringes? Because they're really going to matter. Because you have four dudes on massive contracts. So you're not getting anyone else. You're not making any signings. You don't have draft picks, right? You traded all those away for Kevin Durant. You traded everything for Kevin Durant. Every, you know, and they almost had a deal for Jay Crowder to send five second round picks, but the Nets demanded that too, and they caved on everything. So now you have no assets. You got four players, but you have no assets. And you got to figure out another starter. You can say, okay, campaign's our sixth man, fine, but you still need another starter. And then you got to find at least three quality players to fill in minutes on top of needing a starter. So like you're looking at, if, if, if you're running with campaign as your six man heading into next season, you're looking at at least needing to figure out four players, one of whom needs to start. This is not an easy situation. And so the question becomes, you know, how much control is Frank Vogel? If any, is he going to have any say over the roster or is it, you're just here to coach, you know, you can give input, but that's it. I don't think that he's, you know, above James Jones or anything like that, but I'm just curious, are we going to see kind of a more classic Frank Vogel input here? Are we going to see, or excuse me, imprint? Are we going to see, you know, a, we're going to go out and sign big. So the Suns going to bring back uh, uh, Biombo and Landale and then say, all right, we need to power forward too. Or are they going to say, no, we're going to play KD at four, you know, we're going to play Booker at two, and then we're going to, you know, find someone on the wing or you play KD at three and you still find a four, but it's more of a stretch four shooter type. There's, there's a million questions to be asked because there are so many different paths that can be taken. Now, like you go look through Suns Twitter right now, everyone's like, we're going to have the number one defense in the league and DeAndre Ayton's going to be defensive player of the year. Like, I mean, everyone's people are, are hyped about, Frank Vogel's defensive coaching acumen and, you know, what he's done with how many... He's got multiple teams to number one defense. Okay, cool. I agree that this means that he wanted to coach DeAndre Ayton, and so I don't think that DeAndre Ayton's going anywhere. Cool. I do think that the Suns' defense was horrible at times last year and needs to be improved. Cool. I can I can rock with all these things. I also understand the idea that, you know, if you have a coach who maybe struggles a little bit with offense, having Devin Booker and Kevin Durant... Helps that problem. And so the focus should be more on defense. I get that. But there's just so many questions. Can the Suns keep Kevin Young? That was who Devin Booker wanted to hire. That was kind of who I wanted them to hire. Now he's got other like associate head coaching opportunities. He may not want to stay with the team that just rejected him. So he may want to go elsewhere. You know, and and, and you couldn't blame him for doing that. Um, and that could hurt, you know, some of the continuity on the team. Who is going to design the Suns' offense? You know, these are questions. Because, again, Vogel is a defensive-minded guy. And it's not that he can't, you know, come up with offensive basketball as well. But, you know, more and more in the NBA, we really are having a situation where, 
you have your coach and their specialty, and then you have another coach who does, you know, the other things. So like if you have a defensive head coach, then you have an offensive coordinator of sorts. If you are an offensive minded coach, then you have a defensive coordinator of sorts. We've seen this in a lot of situations. And so I wonder who's going to run the Suns offense because like it got stale. It really got stale towards the end of Monty's tenure. And that's a bummer because the thing is you go back to when Monty first came in and, you know, it was Rubio before Paul um, and everything was going one way. Over those years, the Suns offense started to really become like dynamic. And, you know, especially into the finals, the Suns pick and roll was was really ridiculous. And they were doing so many things. And there were so many layers to it. Um, and it was, you know, and there was cutting and moving and all these things. And over time, that just started to get stagnant. And once Kevin Durant came in, there just didn't really seem to be any sort of, there wasn't a lot of chemistry. And, you know, KD played some of the worst ball of his career. And I hope that was more about chemistry than, you know, him being hurt or him being older or something. Because, I mean, it didn't look phenomenal. Um, but all of these things, it doesn't matter. Because now you're saying, new head coach, we're going to have a completely overhauled roster in terms of role players. Again, the core four will be the same. The the the, the I'm assuming the role players will be very different. I suppose it could be several of the same dudes back. I don't think so. Um, but it's just going to be interesting to see what the Suns do. And as far as just Frank Vogel himself, you know, remove um, the Lakers stuff, remove... You know, whatever anyone thinks about whatever. He is a coach that I liked. Um, I like defense-first coaches. I like that mentality, and I think that's how you win championships. Um, I always loved what Frank Vogel did with the Pacers. Again, those teams took LeBron's Miami toe-to-toe, and they they were right there with him, but they couldn't quite get over the hump. And their offenses were just a little bit stagnant. And the thing is, I'm, you know, none of Vogel's teams really have had like, he's never had a Chris Paul on his team. Like, the point guard of the Pacers was George Hill, who is not really a point guard. Like, you know, he's more of a two guard. Like, you know, he would average three, four assists a game. You know, he's not running the offense. And, you know, with the Lakers, you have LeBron. And, you know, he, he's really more running the offense. And so I just, not at all times, obviously, but I just mean, like, the Lakers, have, you know, they haven't had, you know, a traditional point guard either. LeBron is their point guard. And so now... You come in and it's like you have Chris Paul, you know, the point guard, the architect of, you know, we're going to play half-court offense my way. And I I just, the problem I see here, the upside I see here is Frank Vogel is a really good defensive-minded coach who has gotten the most out of the big men that he has coached. Again, he made Roy Hibbert like a defensive player of the year guy. So, and you know, Roy Hibbert was out of the league Shortly after that, when he lost a step because, you know, Vogel just maximized everything he did. And then, you know, once Vogel was gone, that was kind of the end of it for him. He never really could catch on anywhere else. But in those years, you know, he had him, you know, he was the sheriff of the paint. It was the whole thing. And again, you know, with the Lakers, Anthony Davis has one of the best stretches of his career, wins championship. So I see the upside. You're bringing in a guy who specializes with big men to get the most out of your number one overall pick, who is very good, but hasn't quite reached his potential. I get it. But the rest of it to me is a little bit of somewhat of a misshapen idea. Because, again, Frank Vogel has never had a point guard like this. Now, maybe he's been clamoring to coach one his entire career. And he's like, dude, 
he runs the offense, I run the defense. We, you know, maybe that's going to be perfect for him. But I wonder. Again, Frank Vogel has been a proponent of two big men. We don't have that. We don't have a second big. And if you want to use Kevin Durant as a second big, okay, but you're going to wear him down. So, yeah. roster construction is going to be everything here because it's going to affect the way that Vogel can coach the team and it's going to affect the way that he runs his rotations, obviously, but long-term it affects how worn down Kevin Durant is because we don't really want him to have to play the second big role. And I just, just thinking of all the years of Frank Vogel's coaching I've watched, it's hard for me to believe that this dude is suddenly going to be like, oh, we're going to spread the floor and we're going to let Chris Paul run his thing and we're going to let Booker do his thing and we're going to let KD do his thing. Like, it's hard for me to sort of just see that. And so I, I just, I don't know that Frank Vogel is necessarily the right coach for this team. That's not to say that he's a bad coach. And that's not to say that I, I think he can't be successful. And again, I'm not saying it won't work. But I'm saying that this is not the hire that I would have made. This is not the move that I would have made. I do think this move is made with defense and DeAndre Ayton in mind. So I came into this offseason sure that the Suns were going to trade DeAndre Ayton. Like I, I was disappointed about that, but I had like kind of come to terms with it. And now I've completely reversed course because you just went out and hired a coach who specializes in this. So there's no way that, you know, the Suns are just going to move on from Aiden. This is about maximizing him. And I think at this point, you know, the Suns have pretty much said through the media they're going to pick up Chris Paul's option. He's not going anywhere. So again, this is about, okay, we need to figure out a way to build a championship defense and find role players who can shoot around our four players because all we're trying to do right now is win a title. Nothing matters. This is not a, there are no moral victories. There's no, well, at least we were good. There's no, oh, we won 60 games. The Suns have to win championships, not just one. They need to win like two for all of this shit to be worth it. Now, if they just get one, of course, it'll all be worth it to me. I'll be happy. But I'm just saying you've mortgaged the entire future. You've tried to set up a dynasty here. That is the moves that you have made. And you have now brought in a coach. You fired your coach who helped build the team that was good. And you said, we're firing him because we need a championship equity coach. Okay, you've got that now. So there's no more excuses for anything. You can't scapegoat someone else. You can't say, oh, we could have, should have, would have. This is it. The Suns have to kill this free agency period. They have got to come up with quality role players for this team. They got to figure out who the fifth starter is. They got to figure all these things out, whatever it is they want to do. And they got to be competing for a title next year. And the Nuggets aren't going anywhere. The Nuggets are not going anywhere. This Nuggets team is not going somewhere. They are not suddenly going to be a completely different roster next year. All I want to say to Matt Ishbia is you better be right. And I would never be more thrilled to be wrong. Just not sure about this one. We're going to have to see. And once free agency occurs, we see the roster that they build. Then we can talk about all this again in a little bit more clarity because it's hard to see right now. You, We've got to figure out what kind of team this is because right now I don't know that you know everyone's like, Devin Booker is going to be all defense next year. Okay, very cool. Do we have a championship plan? I need to see it unfold. And that is the Blunt Doctor Show. That's your emergency podcast. Enjoy your weekend. 
do the damn thing right. Take care of yourself. Take care of the ones you love. And just remember, positivity and love always win. So fuck those motherfucking haters. <laughs> Peace.